Um, as we jump into this morning's uh, sermon, uh, it's actually quite fitting, really, because uh, we're looking, uh, as we continued from last week, um, and we looked a lot at just the, how God transforms us, how He works in us, um, the way that the gospel uh, works in our lives, and uh, we saw that we are um, image bearers. We've seen this kind of the last few weeks, and uh, today we're going to be looking at how uh, the, the means, the tools that God uses in order to see transformation. And so as we've looked at the last few weeks, we saw that uh, we are indeed image bearers, we're receivers, uh, we see things, we hear things, we translate what we experience, what we hear, what we see, and then we reflect those things. We reflect the things that we behold, the things that we value. Uh, we choose not to reflect the things that we reject. And because of this, we've been all conformed into the image that we are today. Uh, who you are today, the way that you respond to certain things in your life, to tragedy, difficulty, hardship, you respond to those things because you've been conformed to think in a certain way and your mind and your emotions have been patterned after certain things that you've seen throughout your life. But that also means that we can also be transformed from what we are now into something else. We can be changed. We can grow. We can also uh, go backwards. But all of this, again, is by beholding things that capture our hearts. When we behold something, we see something, we, we want something, we chase after something, we start shaping our, our patterns, our pursuits to, to get that thing that we see and we behold. And so if we want to change and become more like Christ, we have to learn to turn to God and behold the glory of God in the face of Christ, as we saw last week. And we saw also that God promises to do the work of transformation. And so this week, uh, we're going to be looking at the ways that God does this, what we would call the means, the way in which he does these things. We'll look at a few specific things that God uses, something that is nothing new to you, because usually about the first time, uh, first month of the year, uh, we'll spend time reminding ourselves of the various means by which God brings us to the power of the gospel, the transforming work of the gospel. Uh, but before I pray for the sermon, I just want to share with you, uh, just to remind us all, just our church's overall strategy. Uh, you've heard us say that uh, our vision is to see God's glory be known among the nations. We heard that already this morning. Our mission, so that's, that's kind of why we exist. Our mission, what we're to do as a church is to make disciples who make disciples. That's the Great Commission. Go and make disciples. Teach them to obey Go into all the nations. So we are to make disciples as a church family, as individuals, co-workers, as moms and dads. We're to make disciples. And we hope that those disciples then turn, learn to make disciples who go into the world and see God be glorified. But then our strategy, how are we to do that? Our strategy, we tell all you guys, we tell, I remind myself of this, that the strategy for how we're actually to make disciples and see God's glory is to root each other, to see ourselves rooted in the power of the gospel, primarily through God's word, through prayer, and through gospel community. And I've shared this before, but every Monday I look at my personal vision, mission strategy, why do I exist? Why do I exist as a, as a father, as a husband, as a friend, as a pastor? What am I supposed to do? And then how am I supposed to go about and do it? And this helps me stay on track 
It helps me check myself. Am I spending time in God's word, in prayer, with people? And so not only as a church, but even as individuals, the, the strategy that I see that God has put in his word is he has given us three primary means of God's grace. Three primary means by which he brings us face to face with the power, the transforming power of the gospel in the face of Jesus Christ. And that is his own words, it's prayer, and it's also gospel community being brought into the family of God. And so if we want to live that kind of life that sees that transforming power, we have to have these means of grace, these things that I might call roots that bring us into the transforming water, the living water of the gospel. So I'd like to pray as we jump into uh, 2 Peter. Uh, this is the, the verse that I left off with last week. I just kind of hope to leave it with you uh, that we jump into it this week. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 through 15. But I'd like to pray and ask the Holy Spirit that he would lead us and guide us this morning in his word. Father, we are in uh, deep need today and every day for your transforming work in our hearts. As your servant Paul said, whether we uh, have much or when we have little, we need to learn the secret of contentment. We need to learn how to depend on you we need to learn that we always are in need of your transforming power. When we think things are going well or when we are going through challenges, we don't want to be looking at our own strength, our own ability, our own ways, our own means to see change, but we want to go to you. And go to you and seek out the ways by which you bring to us, that you've graciously given us, to bring us to the glory of God in the face of Christ. So Holy Spirit, we ask, we pray that as we open your word now, that you would work in our hearts, our minds, that you'd be transforming us through the power of your word that lives and abides inside of us. We thank you, we love you. We worship you now. Lead us and guide us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Peter here, he says, His divine power has granted to us all things. His divine power has granted us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he's granted to us his precious and very great promises. And here's why he's given this to us, so that through them you can become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that's in the world because of sinful desire. So for this very reason... Make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, 
they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he's blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, so in light of all of that, be all the more diligent. Be diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So God has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. And we're to make every effort that we can to supplement our faith with virtue and knowledge, self-control, steadfastness, godliness, brotherly affection, and love. And if we do this, we won't be ineffective or unfruitful. Look what Paul says also in Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. That's a lot of blessings. All the spiritual blessings in the heavenly places. Even as he, God, chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him, and in love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved who is Jesus. So Paul tells us that God has given us every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realm. I don't know about you, but I often don't feel like I have access to every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realm. I kind of feel a little bankrupt sometimes. I feel like I'm kind of in debt spiritually sometimes. I don't feel like I've got every spiritual blessing. I don't feel like I have all things that pertain to life and godliness. So how do we receive or take hold of these spiritual blessings if we truly have access to them? How do we behold the glory of God in the face of Christ? I read this verse last week, but I want to read it again because it's important for us. It's John 15, verse 4 and 5 here. Jesus says, abide in me. Abide in me. And I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit. Remember, Peter said, if you pursue these things, you won't be unfruitful. But if you pursue them, you'll be fruitful. He says, as the branch can't bear fruit by itself, you can't bear fruit unless you're pursuing these things beholding the glory of God in the face of Christ. You can't bear fruit by itself unless you abide in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So the solution is to abide. It's to learn to abide I used the example uh, last week, and I've used it a lot over the years, of just a power drill. You can take a drill and start twisting it awkwardly. It can be rather cumbersome, but you won't be very effective if you're doing that. But there are power cords that connect to these drills that abide in the power. The power is in the outlets. You've got this power drill, you've got this outlet, but they're connected. Somehow the drill needs to abide in the power, and the connection is this power cord. And there are power cords, so to speak, that connect us to the gospel. 
These power cords are necessary foundational elements that God gives us that should be the basis for our, our liturgy, our habits. So uh, I've, I've shown this before, but I want to show you this uh, graphic here. Um, this first one, this is a Life Mission power drill that's available at Home Depot. Uh, so if we want to abide in Christ, you've got the drill, you're the drill, but apart from the power source, you can do nothing, or you can do very little, and it's very awkward. So we've got to connect ourselves. So then in the, first, uh, the next slide here, we see that this lifestyle of discipleship, living in God's grace, having power for ministry, having power over your own sin, going and making disciples. So that, that's our mission, is to go and make disciples and to have actual power over our sin. Well, what do we need to do? We need the power of God. So the next slide here shows us the, the power, the outlet, is the gospel of God's grace. A few verses there, John 15, that a part of it I just read. Uh, Romans 1 talks about the, the power of the gospel for salvation. But now we have to find a way to actually connect ourselves to that source of power, and that's the next slide, these cords that we call the means of grace. It's the word of God, it's prayer and communion with Christ, and it's gospel community. Those are the ways, not the only ways, but the primary ways that God uses to connect us to the source of power, to the source of the gospel. It's not good enough that we just know that the power of the gospel exists. It's not good enough for the, the power drill to know that there's power in that outlet. Somehow we need to connect to it. There's got to be a connection. It's not good enough just to own a Bible. There has to be more to it than that. And so through these means of grace, through these power cords, our blind spots are revealed. We see our habits that we currently have for what they really are, that they're actually uh, actions and uh, patterns of worship. We see the idols in our hearts. But these means of grace, these power cords also put on display and connect us with the, the image, the beauty of a more worthy object that is worthy of our praise. And that object isn't a thing. It's not money or power or fame, but it's actually a person. It's the face of Jesus Christ. Ultimately, these power cords point us to and even connect us to the power of the gospel so that we can truly change. These power cords help us to develop habits or liturgies, as we call them, that are built on the means of grace, these power cords, that will cause us to reflect God. And these things provide to us, by connecting us to the power of the gospel, they're the conduit by which we receive everything we need. They give us the diagnosis, that the shows us what's wrong with us, the sin that's in our hearts, but also gives us the solution and also gives us the power to change. With these power cords that keep us abiding in the vine, which is the outlet that holds the power source for us, we begin to see our minds renewed, transformed, our hearts, our minds, our habits, our desires even start to change. And we begin to grow in our knowledge of God's will. And in doing so, even our habits, our thoughts, our words, everything starts to become renewed. You have desires that you never had before. And the desires you used to have are starting to wane. They're starting to go away. You don't really quite have the sinful desires you used to have. Maybe a little bit, but not near as much. So we're going to look briefly at these three primary means of grace before looking at some potential approaches or strategies or 
uh, different ways we can appropriate these means of grace in our lives. The first thing we see from 2 Peter is this power to transform ourselves comes from the knowledge of him who called us. Look back at 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. It says his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through, through something. That power comes through something, through some kind of a power cord. And the power cord that's mentioned here is the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. So how does this power actually come to us? It comes through the knowledge of him. Indeed, even Jesus himself said in John chapter 8, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So we have to know the truth. We have to know these promises. We have to know the good news, know the gospel. We have to know the, the, the information, the facts about the power of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ. If we want the power of these things to work in us, we have to actually know them. So how do we know the truth so that it can set us free? Well, we look at the first right before that. In John 8, 31, it says, Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide, there's the word abide again, if you're connected to and allow it to live in you and dwell in you, if you abide in my word, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Jesus says later in John 17, the night before he died, praying to his father, sanctify them transform them, make them holy, change them, conform them, sanctify them in the truth. And he says very clearly, your word is truth. God's word is what transforms us and sanctifies us and changes us. We must know God's word. We must know his word. It cannot Church, be overstated enough. If you do not know his word, you don't know him. If you don't know his word, you, you don't know him. You can guess. You might know a few things about him, but you don't really know him, know him. And you won't have his power to transform. St. Jerome said, ignorance of scripture is ignorance of Christ. If we don't know the scriptures, then we can't know Jesus we're just making things up about Jesus. We have maybe formed our own opinion of who God is, what we think he should be like, based on what? Based on just what we think or feel, what we observe in life, how we interpret the worlds. We're interpreting all the time, but we need a, a translator, and God has given us his word. He says, no, this is my word. I'm gonna tell you who I am. Here is my word. Don't go guessing or making things up. I've given you my word. Now, if you don't know him, you won't change. At least you won't be changing into his image, I should say. Instead, you'll be tossed to and fro from, by every wind and wave of all kinds of doctrines or maybe conformed to the worlds. You'll maybe be conformed to your own feelings and maybe conformed to your opinion of who you think God is, conformed to your own experiences. I mean, think about this. We are changed by humans, by people, as we get to know them. 
That's what changes us. The many friends that I've had over the years, as I spend time with them, I start to change. They influence me because I spend time with them. You can think of probably so many people that have spoken into your lives and had a positive effect or a negative effect and it's been through interaction with them, face-to-face -face interaction with them or words being exchanged, whether over text or in person, but for to be affected by someone, you actually have to interact with them. That's how people change us. And humanly speaking, in, in my life, the person who shaped me more than anyone else on the planet is my wife. And that's because for almost 19 years of marriage, we've spent lots and lots of time together. We've spoken to one another so many times for hours and hours and hours. If you counted up the hours, I don't, it would turn into years of face-to-face -face time and conversation talking about good things and bad things and tough things and exciting things, being in communion with one another. And because of that, over the 19 years of marriage, she's changed me. I'm a different person because of the influence that she's had in my life. Because of this interaction, this communion, her words have affected me more than anyone else's. And in the same way, if we want to behold and see the glory of God in the face of Jesus, we need to look to where the story and the depiction of Jesus actually is, and that's in his word. And furthermore, his word is exactly that. It is his word. It's his word. It's not words about him. It's his word. It's not just a history book about Jesus. It's not just a biography about God. It's his very word. It's very different than just a book about God. I've not gotten to know my wife over 19 years by reading a biography about her. No, it's been face-to-face -face interaction. That's how I've gotten to know her. I don't just know facts about her because I read them somewhere. I've actually interacted with her for two decades. That's what's affected me and influenced me and changed me. I've heard her words being spoken to me and her words reveal her very heart of who she is. And that's what's changed me. As I hear her words, I fall more in love with her because I see who she is. That's what your words do. Because as it pertains to words, words are different than any other aspect of your being. You know, I, I cannot say that I am synonymous with my hand. If I lose my hand in an accident, I'm still Joby. You can still know me. Right? I mean, if, I, if I lose my sight, I'm still me. I'm not synonymous with my eyes, but my words are different. My words are different because Jesus even said, whatever comes out of your mouth comes from where? From your heart. So my words are synonymous with who I am. What comes out of my mouth reveals who I am because it comes from my heart. You take away my words and you can't know me. You might know a few basic things about me. You can guess my age, you can guess certain things, but just basics. Without God's word, you can guess a few basic things about God. You might guess oh, he's probably a creator and someone had to put all this stuff here. He's probably this, he's probably that. But you can't actually really know him in detail. You can't know him intimately. Without my words, you, just, you can make some guesses about me and that's it. My words are synonymous with who I am because they reveal 
in audible form what's in here. My hand doesn't do that. My eyes don't do that. My ears don't do that. Nothing else does that. But my words are not just a thing attached to my body, but they actually come from the depth of who I am. And so when God says, this is my word, it's not just a thing that he possesses. It's not just an item or an object. It's not, it's not a book. It's his word. It reveals his heart, his mind, his desires, his plans, his will. They reveal who he is. This is why it's important for us to know his word. Because without the knowledge of who he is, without these words, without interacting with his words, we can't be changed. Because when you interact with his word, you interact with him. When you interact with my words, just as I've interacted with my wife's words over two decades, when I interact with those words, they change me because I get to know her. When you interact with God's word, you don't just read about him, you are interacting with him and his heart. And now prayer, prayer has its own unique place in all of this. Prayer is almost what you might call one of the aspects of prayer. And again, I mean, I'm going over a quick overview. God's word does many other things other than what I just mentioned, and same with prayer. But prayer is what you might call maybe the hand of faith that reaches out and takes hold of the promises of God that are revealed in his word. It's almost like the glue that fastens these revealed truths into our hearts. So think, for example, if you tell your wife or your kids or a friend that you love them, what they mean to you, you bless them, you encourage them, but they never reply. Right? Your words are going out, you're sharing your heart, but there's, there's no reply. Just kind of crickets. Well, what's going on there? Maybe they don't believe you. Maybe they're not convinced. You ever been telling someone something kind of important, something exciting or something you know, part of your day, and they're just looking at their phone, like, oh, yeah, no, that's, yeah, that's, that's crazy. Wait, hold on, hold on a second, yeah, uh, oh, oh, cool, cool, yeah, no, oh, for sure, oh, hold on one second, one second. And, and they just keep going back, and no, no, I'm listening, I'm listening, and you're just sitting there, you're like pouring your heart out, and they're looking at this thing, acting like you, they've got, you know, you've got their undivided attention, but they're distracted, Something else is going on. Other things are more important. They're self-focused. There's no real genuine heart response. And if that's the case, how can these words, maybe you're giving them encouragement, maybe you're, you're pouring your heart out to them, how can the, your words really actually truly affect them if they're not even actually really listening and responding? Right? It's not landing in a place where it's even being received. There's no response. There's no connection between the two of you. Maybe they are listening, but you're kind of sitting there going, that was weird. And so the two of you don't have communion in that moment. The word's going out. Maybe it's falling sort of on your ears a little bit, and maybe later you go away and you think about it, but, but it's, not, it's not connecting the two of you. There's a transaction going on, but no communion. No intimacy, nothing real, nothing that's going to change the relationship. It's just barely even a transaction. But then you think maybe on the flip side of that, one day maybe you do this a lot to your kids and one day one of your kids comes up and you kind of always think that your kids just don't really listen. There's one ear out the next and 
One day, one of your kids comes up and says, Dad, I, I, I need to thank you for all the words of encouragement that you've given me. When I wanted to give up on this or that, uh, you've told me so many times that you're proud of me. Are you really proud of me? Because right now, today, I'm just, not, I'm just not feeling very good, and I'm just kind of questioning this. All of a sudden, even a delayed response like that, all of a sudden, as a dad, as a mom, you, you just connect with your child. You go, whoa, they're... They're listening. Like they, they hear what I've been saying and now they're, they're responding. They're reciprocating this, this word exchange, this heart connection. And as a parent, you can feel it all day long how much you love your kids and you're proud of your kids, but if they don't respond, there's no connection. There's, there's no glue. There's nothing that bonds you together. That relationship is not abiding. It's existing it's transactional, but, but your words, when you don't feel like your words are really abiding in the, in the hearts of your kids, you're, you're, just, you're just disconnected. But when your child comes and actually shows you, look, Dad, your, your words have been abiding in my heart. I've been thinking about it. And now there's a response. All of a sudden, our hearts are connected. This bond is strengthened. They're taking hold of these words of encouragement. They're believing the words that Dad has given them. Or maybe picture a husband who tells his wife how much he loves her, but she doesn't really respond. And then eventually something happens and finally she does. How powerful it is for a husband and a wife to communicate with each other, to commune with one another, to give and receive from each other words, love. Now the power of their words combined, going back and forth, the power of those words of love actually start taking effect in their hearts and in their relationship. It's one thing for the wife to say all the time, I love you, I love you, love you, but if he doesn't respond, those words aren't gonna really strengthen the relationship. But once that response is there, now there's a back and forth. Now the communion is happening. This is one of the most important aspects of prayer, church. Just like how others, people's responses to your words are what actually unify you with them, we're given this great gift of prayer in order to align our hearts with God's word. God has spoken these great and many promises to us. And many times we just, we don't abide in his word. And we just go along, we don't pray, we don't speak back to him. There's a transaction, you read the word, you go, oh, this is great, great promises. You walk away. There's no response, there's no connection. Father, I'm, I'm reading these words, and I'm just having a hard time believing this. Could you, could you convince me of your love? All of a sudden, now there's this back and forth exchange, and now there's communion happening between you and your father. You're abiding in his word. It's happening, there's strengthening going on. And it's changing you because there's actual communion. Prayer transforms our will into his will and aligns our heart with his heart. And you think about this again, humanly speaking. Have you ever stepped out on a limb and told a friend or maybe someone you hope is your future spouse that first time, you remember, I love you? And they reply with, okay. <laughs> or thanks. Or maybe in text it's just K. <laughs> oh, that's a horrible feeling. And you can feel it so strongly. 
Just as God feels so strongly about the promises that he has given you in his word. But when our response is just, okay, or nothing, we just walk away from the word, there's no back and forth interaction. He can feel it so strongly, but again, it's, it's the power drill and the outlet. That, that power can be there all day long, but something's gotta connect us to it. There's gotta be something that connects us. And in this case, that power cord, so to speak, is prayer. There's no relational glue when there's not a back and forth. God can tell you all day long in his word, his great promises, as many promises, but until we reach out with the hand of faith and prayer and respond to him, we won't experience the oneness and the communion with God that he wants for us, that's necessary even for a radical relationship based on and in the power of his love and his glory. And then lastly, community. God doesn't just save us to be alone, but he saves us into a family. He doesn't just mystically work in you, but he brings others into your life. Sometimes to be eyes or ears or even a mouth to speak into your life. For many of us, this is sometimes the hardest one because our pride, our fear take over. We compare, we minimize, we put on a show. But he calls us first to be baptized into the family of God, then to confess sin, to encourage, to exhort, to teach each other, to take communion together and remind each other of God's grace. But even better yet is when these three power cords are done together. It's what makes a Sunday morning so great because we have time in the word, we have time in prayer, and we have time of community. But it's not just Sunday morning. We can build in disciplines and liturgies, so to speak, into our daily lives that incorporate these power cords. Sometimes they'll just be individual, a time of prayer. Other times they'll be combined. Uh, I talk with our, uh, my, my baseball players as I coach. We actually had this conversation yesterday after a game uh, that there's uh, a number of different hitting drills out there, and they all have their strengths and weaknesses. Hitting off a tee helps you with one thing. Uh, hitting off live pitching helps with another thing. And no, uh, there's not one drill that helps you become a complete hitter. Uh, you need all the different types of drills, and each drill has their own strengths and weaknesses. And when it comes to even our growth, our discipleship, the transforming work of the gospel, we need a, a variety of different drills, so to speak, that build really the, the complete disciple. Uh, for instance, when it comes to the word, there's not just one way to read the word. There's not just one way that we go about reading God's word. We have our regular reading, maybe scripture memory, which is so terribly important for us to bury God's word in our hearts because sometimes you're not gonna have a Bible in your back pocket. And in a moment of temptation or a moment of needed encouragement or in a moment when someone else needs encouragement, you wanna be able to have the Holy Spirit go into the Rolodex of the scriptures you've memorized, draw it out and bring it out of your mouth or bring it to mind. But, uh, but memorizing individual scriptures alone isn't enough. We wanna also be reading whole sections of scripture. We also, we sing scripture. We learn songs and we sing songs that have God's word and truth. We also have times of Bible study because reading is one thing, but studying God's word, individual words and phrases, that's another aspect. We need a complete view of how we approach God's word. The same thing with prayer. We have quick and formal prayers, or maybe we have set aside times where we have maybe a list that we go through. You also have prayer with others, maybe with your family, with friends. You also have different sort of topics in prayer. You have prayers of thanksgiving, prayers of repentance, prayers of praise. 
There's not just one type of prayer that is the perfect prayer. We have this sort of litany of, of prayers, types of prayers, and also with community. I mentioned corporate worship on Sunday. We also have one-on-one time. Making time in your week to go and be with someone for the purpose of encouragement and gospeling each other, not just to hang out, but there's also times for fun and fellowship as well. We have to have these kind of in a balance. But the most important thing about all these things that I might call drills, so to speak, is the way that we utilize these things as means of grace because these things have to connect us to the power of the gospel because these things on their own don't actually change us. Because consider this, that there are right ways and wrong ways to read God's word, to pray, and to be in community. Now that might sound weird to you. You think there's, there's no wrong way to read the Bible. There's no wrong way to pray. Well, let me ask you something. Did the Pharisees know the Old Testament? They did. Did the Pharisees pray? They did. Did the Pharisees have fellowship in their faith community? They absolutely did. Did they do it the right way? They did not. Jesus actually said, when you pray, don't pray like this. Pray like this. So Jesus himself said, there is a right way and a wrong way to pray. Now, I would think that the way that he's saying is right and wrong isn't so much the structure of your prayer or those types of things, but it's the purpose and where the prayer takes you. John Owen said that spiritual disciplines can trim the root of sin, but only the gospel gets the root out. In other words, you can twist the drill in your hands, but it's much better to actually plug the drill into the power source. Right? So, I'm not saying that just going to church thoughtlessly does nothing for you. I'm just saying it's not the most effective way to go to church. I'm not saying if you don't feel good, then don't read the Bible. No, read the Bible even if you're not feeling it. What I'm saying is that when we go to these disciplines, these means of grace, we want to say, God, I I want these things not just to be in and of themselves a thing I do, but I want them to take me somewhere. These have to be conduits, power cords, roots, that take me somewhere. For these things to be effective, for roots to be effective, they have to take us to a water source. Uh, imagine you're at a well and there's a bucket on a rope. And you go, oh man, I'm thirsty, I need some water. And you, just, you get the bucket, you drop it down, and the bucket goes right above the surface of the water, and then you pull it back up, and you take the bucket. I mean, that's pointless. The bucket's supposed to go in the water. And so God's word and prayer, these things are like buckets that carry up the power of the gospel to our hearts. But if we use them in a way that they're just meaningless, we just check off a box. We pray in the way that the Pharisees pray, just empty prayers, thoughtless reading, all these things. We come up empty. Maybe even with more hardened hearts like the Pharisees. So this is why it's important for us to incorporate prayer with our time of Bible reading, our time of going to church. You pray before you enter this place. God, I don't want to just come here and just sing a couple songs and leave. I need to commune with you and with your people today. I don't want to just read this book as if it's just a history book about you. I need to see the face of your son so I can behold the glory of you so that it would change me. Incorporating all these different hitting drills so to make, as it says in 2 Timothy, the man of God complete, instead of a complete hitter, making a complete man of God, a disciple. 
This is what 2 Timothy says in chapter 3. All scriptures breathed out by God and profitable for teaching and reproof, for corrections, all these different things, and for training in righteousness so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So it's a question I get a lot. Well, should I, should I force myself to read the Bible? You know, my heart's not really in it. Is that just being fake? Is it being a hypocrite? Should I set alarms to pray? I don't want uh, to just do this out of legalism. I don't want it to be a chore, so I just kind of wait for me to feel it. Uh, one person recently, when I was in Zambia, asked, should I approach the Bible like I do brushing my teeth? I said, that's actually a great way to put it because apparently brushing your teeth is important to you. So you discipline yourself to do it every day, even if it's not the most enjoyable thing, but you do it because you know that it has value for your life. And so as I talk through in that way, because he was saying, I don't want it to be a ritual. I want it to be led by the Spirit. But I said to him, if you want and you desire and you know that the Word of God in your life is important, then yes, discipline yourself to read God's Word. Don't just, don't just brush your teeth when you feel like it. Brush your teeth because it's good. Don't just do things, go to church when you feel like it. Do it because you know that God said this is good and this is the means by which I give you to connect you so you can commune with the power of God. And over time, then we build an appetite. Now all of a sudden, we start actually desiring these things that maybe at first we didn't quite desire, but you become enamored by what you're seeing in God's word. Your, your, your day, your perspective changes as you spend more time in prayer. Paul also says to Timothy in 1 Timothy, train yourself for godliness. You need to train yourself. You need to discipline yourself. You want to grow in godliness, connect to the power of God? You need to actually discipline yourself. Don't just wait for your whim to, to kick in. All of a sudden, oh, I feel like praying now because I feel motivated. No, train yourself. He says, while bodily training is of some value, same could be said about brushing your teeth or something like that, but godliness is of value in every way. It holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. In 1 Corinthians, Paul says, don't you know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run in a way that you can obtain it. Discipline your time in God's word and prayer in a community. Discipline yourself so that you can attain that power of God working in your life. You've got to train yourself to do this. We can't just sit around and just expect it to happen. Look what he says. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, a trophy. But we're doing this for an imperishable trophy. So I don't run aimlessly. You don't go, we don't go to baseball practice and say, okay, just do whatever you want if you want to become a complete hitter. No, there's a purpose at every practice. And me as a coach, I discipline and I train these boys. We don't just get there and just say, do what you want. We shouldn't wake up on our day and just say, I'm just going to do what I feel like today. Maybe I'll read a little bit of this. Maybe I'll pray, but I'm not really feeling like this. No, we have to wake up every day with a liturgy in mind and say, I'm going to train myself today for godliness. I'm gonna equip myself. I'm not gonna just go out into this war, into this battle aimlessly, just beating the air, as Paul says. No, I'm gonna exercise self-control today. I'm gonna to cut some things out of my life and I'm gonna put some things in my life. I'm gonna build an appetite as I train myself for godliness. He says in verse 27, I discipline my body and I keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. We don't wanna go out just aimlessly in our life. No, we have to we have to discipline ourselves. So, church, what is your plan? You might not have a plan right now, but think about it. What is gonna be your plan for your time in the word, for prayer, 
One thing maybe you start doing is say, I'm going to be in the Word before I touch my phone in the morning. I'm going to pray before I touch my phone in the morning. You know, we're all different, so I mean, maybe some of you need to shower and have some coffee before you get in the Word. That's fine. I mean, there's not one way to, to do these things, but you have to figure out what's the most effective way that I can plan my liturgy for my day. You are the shepherd of your day. And you wake up and you get to plan the worship service of the 24 hours that you have every single day. How are you going to start that worship service in the morning? And it's okay if it starts with a cup of coffee or whatever, but how are you going to plan your worship service? 24 hours a day, seven days a week, month after month, you are in charge of that. You're the shepherd of your own life. Maybe it's incorporating kneeling prayer so you can focus. Maybe you say, I'm going to maybe not listen to talk radio so much, but I'm going I'm to pray on my drive to work. Maybe you're going to plan in your schedule to have more meaningful conversation. You're going to go out of your way to be with people. And the phrase that I use a lot with myself, and then I'll close here uh, with uh, just a reminder from Second Peter. I tell myself, and I'm, I'm not great at this, but plan your work and then work your plan. I'm good at planning my work. <laughs> I have a hard time working my plan. Uh, but plan your work. Say, I know, I know that this is the best liturgy for my day. I know that if I do this, as Peter says, if you pursue and persist in these things, you won't be unfruitful. You can sit there. I know you can do it. You can sit there and go, this would be an awesome plan if I did this as my weekly routine. Now you got to start actually working your plan. And this is where I feel community comes into play. You've got to actually ask people to help you. Because if you don't tell people you're trying to do this, it's easy just to let it kind of slide off. But if you start telling people, your friends, your spouse, your kids, hey, dad's gonna start doing this. I want you to ask me how it's going. I want you to check in with me. So to close, I just wanna go back to Second Peter, verse 10. He says, therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election because if you practice these qualities that he mentioned before, you'll never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And then this part, as I mentioned last week, is what I feel is my mandate as a pastor, but also your mandate as husbands, wives, moms and dads, friends, Peter says, therefore, I intend always to remind you of these things, remind you that God has given you these power cords to connect you to the power of the gospel. Though you know these things, you already know the gospel, you know this truth, we remind ourselves, and you're established in the truth that you have, but I think it's right, as long as I am in this body, as long as I'm alive, I want to stir you up by way of reminder. We cannot get away from this church. We can't get away from these truths. Because I know that the putting off my body is going to be soon. I know, Peter says, I'm going to die soon. Because our Lord Jesus Christ made that clear to me. And I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. Um, church, it is my desire as a pastor, as a friend, that if you're in this church for any number of weeks or months or years, that you leave knowing you move away, whatever it is, you leave knowing that God has given you his word, he's given you prayer, and he's given you a gospel community that those are the ways that we connect to the power, the transforming power of the gospel. I hope that that is never lost in this church, never lost, and you are confused, you think that the power of God is in something else. No, I hope that by way of reminder, we always know that. 
And as you pass that down to your kids and hopefully your kids' kids, that it would be our legacy as a church, as God's people, to know that the power of God is seen in the face of Christ and given to us through the means of grace that God gives us to abide in him, abide in his word. Because apart from that, we can do nothing. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we, um, now we come to you uh, knowing in a very real way that apart from you, we, we really can do nothing. We are, um, we're just like a, a, a powerless drill. And so many of us, myself included, we, we just try to twist ourselves in our own power and our own strength. Forgetting, as Peter says, become no, so nearsighted we become blind, forgetting that we've got every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realm available to us. All things for life and godliness have been given to us through the knowledge of your Son. And yet we just insist on just doing things our way, not tapping into and abiding in the vine, not being connected to the power of the gospel, neglecting our time in the word, neglecting our time in prayer, neglecting our time in community, or when we do these things, we do them in a way that isn't how we should. We're in community, but we are hiding. We're not transparent, we're not vulnerable. We're in the word, but it's just to be quick and just to check things off a box. We go to you in prayer only just to ask you to give us things. And I know that your word is alive and powerful and it's going to accomplish what it does. And even in those times when our hearts are not in these things, I know that you have the ability to interrupt our lives. And so I don't want to minimize the power of your word or prayer or the times we do things thoughtlessly, but I know that that's not how you call us to interact with you. You'll still give us grace. But Peter tells us to pursue these things and pursue them in the right way. Help us, Lord, to come up with plans, to be in discussion with those in our community group, to uh, be talking with friends and our spouses. How do we build in a better liturgy in our life to be connected to the power of the gospel? We thank you, Lord, for your grace towards us that you've given us these great and wonderful gifts. We love you. We worship you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.